0: Well hello everyone, I'm your host Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. You know I'm always curious, we want to hear from you. If you do have some specific topics, Recommendations, areas of interest, please send those on to us at podcasts at hci.org. Today, we've got Joelle Laguerre, and she is the founder and principal of ProU. She's also been on faculty at HCI. We were just talking about this five plus years, almost six. Um, Joelle recently presented a webcast called Building a Limitless People Growth Experience with HCI thanks to a sponsorship of Cornerstone. And we are so grateful to have you here with us today. Welcome, Joelle. Thank you, Cindy. Happy to be here. We're glad to have you. Thanks for taking time for us.
1: My pleasure.
0: I wanted to let our audience, our listeners know that Joelle and I have known each other. We started at HCI around the same time, I think, Joelle. Does that seem? Yeah. And one of my fondest memories with Joelle is that we had this awesome, awesome opportunity to work on a corporate training For HCI, if you recall, I'm sure you do, (laughs) (laughs) it had a pretty high-tech delivery system, which you all, I mean, like green screens. We were in like a secluded room. There were X's on the floor. Um, We really bonded over that experience. There was, you know, so much unfamiliarity. Um, It was such an honor to be included. It was super exciting to have that experience. And at that time, as Joelle and I were getting to know each other, we also learned about our mutual passion for people development. And I think, Joelle, just at that time, you were just getting going with Pro U. Is yeah, that right? absolutely. Yeah. Can you believe it? Isn't that crazy? It really does feel
1: crazy that it's been that long.
0: I know. It's so awesome. And I know you're up and running and have some certifications behind your name and some really exciting things that you've done over the last five years. So
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm so glad that we crossed paths in that way. As as for some of you all, you may know, a lot of the facilitators for HCI were remote, so we don't often get to join together. So it was a really unique experience that we got to meet face to face. It was. Yeah. So... When I had the opportunity to moderate for Joelle's webcast, one of the things that really stood out for me, and I thought, you know what, Joelle, we need to have you on our podcast, but you talked about this thing called a growth mindset. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we talk about it. I know we talk about it in our HCI courses. You also were a little bit transparent about it. That said, you know, you had also mentioned, I sometimes struggle with it. So can you dive a little bit into what is this thing called growth mindset? And what does it mean to you? What does it mean to development?
1: So first of all, if I said I sometimes struggle with it, I wasn't really being (laughs) transparent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Maybe I added that word. (laughs)
1: always struggle with it. Um, Yeah. Growth mindset. I'm really happy that it's become trendy. I guess I could say, you know, it's in so many different conversations and so many different contexts right now. And most often I hear parents tell me that it's being taught in elementary school. So I'm just so thrilled. Um, So growth mindset, as I know, you know, well, is really about being open to messing up and, and learning from that. And it's really how we learn. We learn from making mistakes and not being good at things. But it's such a terrible feeling, especially for adults. I think we, as kids, that's natural, right? You know, that we're going to, quite literally fall when we're learning to walk. But as we get older, I think that pesky ego comes into play more and more and it's scary to fail. So growth mindset is the mindset that says, I know I'm not good at something. I totally get that. And I know that I can only get better by trying and you know, getting feedback and trying again and possibly failing quite a few times. Whereas a fixed mindset is that mindset where, and again, unfortunately, I'm very often seeing this in myself where, you know what, I know how to do what I know how to do, what I don't know how to do. Well, let's just leave that alone. Let's leave that alone because it doesn't feel good to push myself and it doesn't feel good to fail. So as an entrepreneur. I've seen that in myself, the fixed mindset so much more than I would have believed before because I'm Mm -hmm. in the people development space and I've always been, you know, you think that you get it, right? You understand it. But fear is a big thing for all of us, I imagine. And certainly for me. So I am still very much working on it. It's something that, you know, I have to talk to myself about daily. And, you know, one thing I also mention when, to people when we're talking about growth mindset is that it is a continuum, it's not a switch on or off. Um, and that, you know, some days you do have to make choices about how much energy you're going to put into something that you may not be able to do that well. How much energy are you going to put into that versus, Sticking to what works well for you. So I think it is, it's a balance. Um, I think where I'm seeing it most introduced in the HR world is in leadership and management training. And that excites me because that is where the concept of a learning organization or a learning culture through managers and leaders understanding. Um, and applying a growth mindset to themselves and to the people that they manage, a learning organization, a learning culture can really grow and flourish.
0: So many things. And I think I often say this with a lot of the folks that I talk to on this podcast. We could talk about this for days. And yes. I know that is not the time frame we have, but so many things you said. And gosh, it was a big aha moment for me because I am always you know, coaching others, wanting to see other people flourish and develop and thrive. And, and how do I support that? But you really hit the nail on the head. It's not just about others. It's also about us, Yeah. right? What we're doing professionally, we are doing those things for others, but it has to also start with us. And so Absolutely. I think that was a big... Uh Aha, For me, and and I really, I appreciate your honesty in saying, uh, sometimes I was not telling the truth. Maybe always I'm struggling with this. It's a reality. And, you know, we talked about the beginning of this year, we talked about burnout. And I can see um, as you were talking, I'm like, gosh, you know what? I wonder if sometimes that is what gets you trapped into this high level stressors because you use the word energy. What's the energy we have? to trying something new or opening our mind to possibly not doing something well. And then it's can become a cycle. Oh, such good stuff. Thank you. I love how you explained it. And I love how you talked about how it's happening in an educational setting Yeah, that's being talked about. That's awesome. It's exciting to hear that you touched on though. And I really did want to come back to this. You touched on the culture of an organization So how does this translate, this idea of a growth mindset, maybe the fixed mindset or the combo of two, how does that translate into the idea of fostering that adult learning community or culture in organizations?
1: Right, right. I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, David Rock's work. He's the founder of the Neuroleadership Institute, and I feel like he is the one or one of the thought leaders who really introduced growth mindset into the HR space. It feels like that was kind of a tipping point for a lot of organizations. He brought it up and continues to talk about it in the context of performance management. And what he introduced to organizations is that our traditional way of managing performance is very much leaning towards fixed mindset or encouraging fixed mindset, where people are attempting to prove themselves through performance management processes, whereas growth mindset is about improving yourself. And that really was a light bulb for me, his distinction between fixed mindset and mindset being simply fixed mindset, prove yourself,
0: growth Mm. mindset,
1: improve yourself.
0: So cool.
1: Yeah. And uh, So organizations, I think, were really, especially leaders, were like, oh, wow. So this performance management thing that we're doing is really not nurturing the kind of innovation, the kind of growth that we want um, for individuals and for the organization as a whole. And so at that time, a lot of organizations throughout the performance rating system, I don't know if you remember that big time, and moved towards quarterly feedback check-ins now, a lot of them have gone back to ratings. I will I will yeah, tell you that. I, I
0: know, I know. I talk about it all the time. I know. It's so interesting
1: what happened there. I think a lot of them went back to ratings largely because they didn't set the culture, set the yes. stage, right, yep. for the yep. culture before they just said, let's get rid of the ratings. And the culture that David Rock was talking about in, in a true growth mindset culture is one where... You know, people are having perhaps scheduled, but perhaps impromptu conversations with managers and peers about their growth, about how they're moving along on their professional development or career plans, really honest and open feedback. And that is really fundamental to growth mindset. And I think that's why a lot of organizations, people period, but organizations, struggle with it because we as a people, I'll just say we as a people, we don't do this well, generally speaking. And it's tough. It's tough to give people you know, critical feedback. Um, Some people, you know, to be sure, some people are much better at this than others, but I think most of us just struggle with it. And I've been reading some research recently, especially about Black women in the workplace. And the literature speaks to people in disenfranchised groups, according to the research, not getting as quality feedback as others. And that just leads me to think not simply about Black women or any other um, minority group, but just the reality that when the identity of the manager versus the employee is different, that that causes a little bit of tension. Um, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes sure. an attention where the manager might feel, okay, I don't want to say the wrong thing, yeah. right? Is this bias? Is this You know, and all of those things are so honorable. We want our managers to be self-reflecting and thinking about those things. But at times, according to the research, what may result is that people aren't getting quality feedback, that the managers are just taking the easy way out to say, good job, (laughs) you know, good job. All right. You're getting your bonus and we'll keep it moving. Um, So I think that is likely one of the biggest challenges because in order to really, you know, flourish individually and as an organization in a learning culture with growth mindset, people need to be honest with each other. And we need to have the types of relationships that allow for that honesty. And people need to understand that my critique of you, if it is a critique, is not a critique of And actually, I shouldn't say it that way. My critique of this thing that you did, this, you know,
0: the skill is. Yeah. It's not a critique yeah, of yeah, you. Of a you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. And I think all of that is emotional intelligence. Oh, um, yeah. And as much as long as, so as we've been true. talking about that you know, it's a journey, it's a journey for all of us. And, and so I know I've said a lot, but
0: it's great. (laughs) Like, I really honest, I'm so glad that you brought up um, disenfranchised groups, because I don't think that I thought about it that way. Although, you know, I've done the same thing. I'm sometimes I get nervous about what's coming out of my mouth. The last thing I would ever intentionally want to do is dismiss or have some type of unknown bias come up, you know, like I, wow, I hadn't thought about it from that person. I mean, that is part of this bigger puzzle, but I hadn't thought about that when we're thinking about a flourishing adult learning culture and performance.
1: Absolutely. And I can tell you a story, Cindy. Um, Recently, I facilitated a training my first time with someone who was hard of hearing, who was deaf. I think they were indeed deaf. And they had translators. And they had two because they took turns because of the length of the training. And one time, one of the translators spoke and I thought he was, it was his comment. <laughs> it was, I don't know what made me think that, but my co facilitator had to write to me and she said, he is giving her comment because I kept saying his name in response to, and she was like, no, 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 you have to use her name because he is speaking for her. And I was, I felt terrible. And, you know, it's probably not the biggest mistake, the biggest deal, but it made me very sensitive to people across the continuum. You know, when they're encountering something, they recognize this is different for me. I'm not used to this. And how do I approach it?
0: Yeah. So it's, you know, we all have moments, right? And dare I say, is that somewhat of that growth mindset too, right? That fear, I'm going to do this. I am not sure how it's going to go. I'm going to do it. And guess what? I also learned from it. I'm not going to crawl into a hole from learning from it, but I've learned from it and I am going to be more aware next time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And a true learning organization makes space yes. for that. Yes. Makes yeah. space for that.
0: Yep. I love that. So I'm kind of going through our talk today, Joelle, because I had the opportunity to listen in to your webcast. So I'm, I'm almost like going through topics a little bit. And before we wrap up, I do want to, because I have you on and you are an HCI faculty member, I do want to end up with having some conversation about that because that will be fun. But the other thing that I gleaned from your talk with the HCI webcast Was this language that you used around non commissioned work? Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? And then we can move on from there. What does that mean to our listeners if it's a new word for them?
1: So I will tell you, it was a new word, a new term for me as well. I was introduced to it through um, Daniel Pink's research, um, specifically, I think, the book Drive. um, Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us at Work, I think is the full title, was quite popular a a decade or so ago. And his idea, um, well, it wasn't his idea specifically, but what he was promoting is the idea that work that is not necessarily part of someone's job duties, is what you would call non-commissioned work. And I think the term is most appropriate for kind of the creative world, or I think that's where it's most used. And usually when I'm explaining it, I say, you know, an artist might be commissioned to paint something, right? They're asked to, but they also just paint on their own because that's what they do, right? And so- The stuff that they're just creating at home that they're inspired to create or in their studio is non-commissioned work. But every now and then, somebody who is aware of their talent says, can you do this for me? So it's most relevant in that context. So I think Daniel Pink was applying it more to the everyday business world. And it can still apply, Um, perhaps not as seamlessly, but how can organizations make time for people to do non-commissioned work. And for those of you who are familiar with Daniel Pink, you know that he advocates in that book, Drive, the acronym AMP, Autonomy, Mastery, and, and Purpose. You know, we talk about that in a few of our classes, yes. Cindy. Yes, <laughs> and favorite. that non-commissioned work pieces is, is in the autonomy space, right? So people having the freedom, the autonomy to just kind of do what they want to do. And of course, hearing that initially in the business world, it's like, why would we let people do what they want to do? that's the opposite of what we're we're doing. We were trying to get you to do a specific thing for us to make us more profitable. And of course, what Daniel Pink spoke to are several examples of non-commissioned work. And there are a couple of different titles that different organizations give to this time that they give people, but there have been some notable inventions during this time. I think the most popular um, well-known one is 3M and the creation of the post-it note that yep. supposedly Amazing. Right, was created um, during non-commissioned work. And so the idea is if we can step away from the idea that we have to tell people what to do <laughs> all the time, if we could give space for people to just be creative, be innovative, what could we come up with? But, you know, even as I talk about it, it's hard to wrap your head around what that might look like in certain industries, in certain jobs. Um, Is it applicable to everybody and how can organizations do that? I think that's going to be an ongoing
0: conversation. Interesting. Yeah. As you're talking and I'm not right off the top of my head thinking of the other language that's used, but so basically what you're saying is this is outside of our normal Job responsibilities. Yes. This is the part of those contributors in a workplace that are taking that time. It's almost like expanding their strengths or enhancing strengths or even diving into something that we aren't really good at. Like right. <laughs> diving back. How into about that? that like, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you had used the term earlier. Creating a space. It creates a space for innovation. It creates a space for process improvement. It creates a space for thinking outside the box.
1: Right, right. Gosh,
0: I love that term. And now that you talk about it in that creative space, and now we have commissioned work, and then there's non-commissioned work that really made a lot of sense. to me. So how are you seeing, or if you're seeing, or do you have stories or examples of That being used to some degree in organization to support that learning culture? Are you seeing it happen or hearing about it happening?
1: To be honest, I am not. I could and I probably should do a little bit more digging because it's very likely that organizations are doing it, not calling it anything. Exactly. Um, Right. So, you know, we're not hearing about it. The the most notable ones are the ones that I learned about from Daniel Pink's work. There's the term a FedEx day. That's the term that I was thinking about. But I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, it wasn't developed by FedEx, but it's a term that's used to reference a fixed time box. Now I'm reading from the internet, if you don't mind, (laughs) a fixed time box in which people are not disturbed for regular work. Within this time box, employees have total autonomy over the project they are enthusiastic about. And I think this was originated, yeah, it says here with an Australian software company called And so I'm not exactly sure why they call it a FedEx day. But to that point, I think different organizations may call them different names. And again, in certain roles, it may be a little bit more seamless to do that. Right. And I think at the software company that I just mentioned, you know, there is a lot of creative work being done there. And so I think in certain roles, it may seem more fitting, um, but I think we need to open up our minds a lot more to how it can be managed for for more, for more people. But to answer your question directly, I have not. I really, yeah, really okay. have not.
0: Yeah, well, and I kind of lean into what you're saying a little bit too, though, for some organizations, if it happens to be part of their values or built into their culture it could just be to your point it may just be happening but it's not called anything right they're giving folks space there's space to create right there's space to find new there's space to be innovative in their work days so I think you're right it may be happening out there without it being called something specific. exactly yeah exactly So we've talked growth mindset, we've talked non-commissioned work and tying that into the idea of adult learning culture. So my next topic, if you will, is thinking about, and I know when we talked about performance management, this came up a little bit, but that next topic area for me is around giving feedback. How does that fit into all of this when we think about people development? Yeah.
1: It's absolutely necessary and very uncomfortable. <laughs> that's, that's just mm-hmm. the reality of it. Mm-hmm. It's so necessary. Um, if I recall in the webcast that I did, Building a Limitless People Growth Experience, I think I mentioned some research from a book called The Leadership Machine. I can't recall it exactly, but something around, according to research, what are we least aware of? About ourselves and interpersonal skills and social skills was highest on that list. And that just kind of freaked me out. I was like, what? I honestly would have gone the other way. I would have said, I know how people see me, how I come across to people. And perhaps I do. Of course, some people are more self aware than others, but the research indicated that that is the thing that people are most off about. Right. (laughs) And so that just lets us know that we need feedback. We need relationships where people can feel comfortable giving us feedback and we are comfortable receiving it because we know that this is somebody who cares about us and maybe even loves us. Um, That could certainly be the case at work and of course in our personal lives as well. So it's so necessary. And I'm grateful that so many of the leadership and management development programs that I've been a part of have included that as a Central <laughs> pillar so to, very to be, specific. Good. Yes, Good. Yes. 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 Giving and receiving feedback as well. There's so much skill that a number of different skills that come to play in the giving of feedback, especially in the formal, you know, management manager-employee setting. And it trips people up. It really does trip people up. Managers, like I said earlier, can be anxious about differences between them and their employees. They might be worried about anything related to performance issues, right, that might cause any kind of discomfort or tension in the conversation. I think there's so much potential for tension that people are just like, you know what, I'm going to make this as easy as possible for myself and the other person. But there's also so much potential for growth, growth of the relationship, as well as growth of that individual's skills. And sometimes awareness that this isn't the right fit. You know, there should be space for all of that through giving open and honest feedback. But I don't want to keep adding but to my sentences. At the same time, I want to Acknowledge how difficult it is. Because sometimes when you talk about feedback and you don't acknowledge it, people just walk away like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And, you know, I've done it too. I've avoided these conversations. So I want to honor and recognize how difficult it is. And one thing that I'm encouraging more of my clients to do is in holding these trainings, you've got to do role play. I know we all hate it. Nobody really likes role play, but we've got to do that because it's just one thing to share a framework, you know, share a good thing before you share a critical, you know, the, sand, the sandwich thing. It's one thing to do that. And it's another thing to really practice and feel comfortable messing up. Yeah. Screw it up. Yes,
0: yes. And
1: so I think role play is so important. Critical.
0: Well, it's interesting because I think the other piece, and you may not realize, but where language you've used are around relationships and having relationships with people. And I, as I'm listening to you, and I'll give my own example here in just a minute. You know, especially as an entrepreneur. Right. I don't have an annual performance review. I have to create my annual performance review. But it's those relationships. Right. And the relationships allow us to say tough things. Right. Or asking, where are my areas of improvement? Where are my strengths? And it's being able to have that honest conversation. I think it goes back to. We're not talking about you as a human being. We're talking about the skill set that you're bringing me. If this is what you promise me and that's not what is being delivered, we need to have a conversation about it. Right. Right. So I want to share with you talking about tough. One of the things that I try to ask annually, and it hovers around that language of annually because I have to be brave to do it. And so I have to be firing on all cylinders. But I try to say to my clients, am I bringing value? right? I do not want to be a paid participant in this role if I'm not bringing value. So let's talk about what am I continuing to do well? Where have I improved? Where are some areas, you know, am I running my meetings okay? Are my notes okay? Are my follow-ups okay? Is my skill set okay? Am I, you know, like all of those questions, but I have to be brave to open it up. It's scary to hear what those results would be. My other example, this just happened recently, Um, I had somebody in one of my classes. So, you know, I teach and we're going to dive into our connection here to HCI, but I teach a people analytics class. And it's a tough class. And oftentimes, I'm going to just put it out there. I've got people that are a world smarter in this space of statistics, right, than I ever will be or ever choose to be. But I'm knowledgeable in the journey. I'm knowledgeable in how to utilize people analytics. I'm knowledgeable in what it's doing and how it's helping us to perform and make decisions. But I had a one-on-one after a class, because I'll do that too, and I know you do too, um, with one of my participants, and she was just giving me some feedback of the class And I right away, I emailed our team at HCI and I said, hey, I got this feedback, but I want to see if other people say the same, right? Is this just a nuance? You know, I want to make sure people are getting the best experience that they can. And when I sent the email, do you know, I also said. I also have a weird relationship with feedback, so I may not read this right away, but I want you to give it to me. <laughs> so, I adore you. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I, love I just, that. You know, because it is, you have to be brave, right? If it's not an assigned thing, you have to be brave to ask it. So I'm glad that you brought that up on both ends, right? Being the feedback giver and the feedback receiver. Yes.
1: Yes, absolutely. It takes bravery, courage, either mm-hmm. way, it really does. And the
0: relationship, right? I, yes. I have a relationship with people. So it it at least it helps. It helps a little bit. It to sure does. So brings me back to our role as faculty with HCI. Um, I know you've got some courses that you absolutely adore to teach. Um, where do you see, you know, when you think about the courses that you teach, where do you see that connection between development and uh, what we're doing with HCI?
1: So uh, perhaps the most obvious thing is that most people who attend HCI classes are pursuing professional development, career development, and hoping that the learning in and of itself, but also the certifications may help to bolster their career or, in some cases, take them down a totally different career journey. So I'm always thrilled to be a part of that for any individual or group of people. Also, I think in all of our classes, I'll say it, most if not all of our classes, we are talking about organizational culture in some way, shape, or form. And I think especially through change management for HR, certainly strategic HR business partner, even a little bit perhaps in strategic workforce planning, we are kind of talking about a culture that allows for people to be human, right? For the human and human resources to really be honored through the type of work that you do, even though we are talking about models and frameworks and you know especially in strategic workforce planning there's a lot of rigor to it i think our content and i know i certainly try to inject that whenever appropriate really strives to respect that we are talking about people right we're not talking about cogs in a wheel we are talking about people and ultimately the more meaning we can I don't want to say give to people because I don't know if you give people meaning, but the more meaning that we can, maybe I'll just use create space for <laughs> again, the more space we can create for people to be self-aware, to be more themselves, to grow, to learn, to leave, if that's yeah. their choice, right? To yep. leave without a bad taste in their mouth, right? Um, to maybe come back, <laughs> maybe come back yep. another time. I think that is what I think so many of us who are in human resources are drawn to HR for, like our love of people whether we're introverts or extroverts, I think there's that internal love for the idea of people being their best selves. And I think through all of our classes, we are talking about how we can in some way engineer the organization so that people can be their best selves. At least that's the way I like to see it.
0: I love it. Yes. So that people can be their best selves, I I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think that's what you know, and maybe that's even what you and how we were attracted to each other, right? What attracted the two of us is a pretty quick realization that we are both fairly passionate about that, and yes, and we get to spread our wings and help spread participants' wings. That's right. As we teach some of these classes with HCI. It was so awesome to have you with us today. Yay. Thank you, Cindy. Oh, a pleasure. Oh my gosh. I love it. And I love everything that you had to say. And thank you for thank you for letting me kind of break it down into some topics. Like I said, I really was enamored by your webcast and I thought what a great opportunity to have you here on the podcast as well.
1: You are too kind, Cindy. My pleasure. Such a great host and facilitator you are. Aw,
0: well, we're glad to have you. Look at look at how far we've come. I know. I <laughs> look can't at how much you. we've grown. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and you know
1: that that is not even a joke. Um, I yeah, I, I was teaching the other day, and just thinking back to the first classes that I taught. <laughs> Just how much I've grown. I know. If you don't stop I and know. think about it, you can easily neglect how much you grow in your work, and, and I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of us. Me too.
0: <laughs> cheers to us. Cheers to us. Cheers it's to easy. us. Both Aquarian birthdays, right? Yes. We just celebrated. Yes. 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 So so coming up in two. a few. Yeah, that's crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, cheers to us. Thank you for being on today. We've enjoyed spending time with you, Joelle.
1: I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you, Cindy. All (laughs) righty.
0: Well, all right, Nine to Thrive listeners, just a couple of things here. Please make sure you're letting us know if you have any ideas for topics, podcasts at hci.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For 9 to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day, everyone.